But now it's it's 2022 and we need something much stronger than sustainability. I mean, at, at the moment, what we have is, is completely broken ecological systems and it's no good in sustaining that. And, and is the purpose of tourism today different than the purpose of tourism might have been 50 years ago? And I would argue absolutely. But the world, obviously, in this VUCA world we live in, it's complicated, it's complex, it's ambiguous and, and nuanced. And that means storytelling has to come along on that ride as well. Kia ora, ko Debbie Tokuingoa. I'm Debbie Clark. Kia ora, ko Josie Tokuingoa. I'm Josie Major. Welcome back to the Good Awaits podcast. Here we are, Josie, in the first episode of season two. Excited to be back and thanks to UNESCO for helping us make this happen. Yes, it's great to be back for another season of these really important conversations and and stories that we're that we're sharing. And it's wonderful to be able to, to, be able to start this season by by talking about storytelling, which is what we're going to be bringing today. And if you want to know more about what this whole season is going to be, we do encourage you to listen to our introduction to season two uh, to get an overview of what this whole season is going to be about. But yeah, as you said, Josie, today is all about storytelling because we've realized that here on the podcast, that's what we are, even if we hadn't fully appreciated that when we started last year. Mm. I think it's been a shift for us is sort of recognizing our role as as storytellers and as bringing some of these stories, um, weaving them together, I guess. And I think it's important context for, for the podcast, but also for the kind of wider work that we're trying to do with this uh, mm. regenerative shift within the visitor economy. I think if we start to think about the way that we do tourism or the current paradigms within tourism, if we start to think about that as a narrative or as a as a story, then it kind of helps us to think about how we can shift that. And we're also shaped by narratives that we tell ourselves and the stories that we live by. And very often that subconscious, we don't realize the power that stories have uh, that we tell ourselves. And so I think that's why we were excited to bring two storytellers to the show today to talk about how we can become more conscious about what these stories are. What are the stories that we reinforce subconsciously or unconsciously? And how do we shift those to create stories about a more regenerative future? That's it. So first of all, we are really thrilled to have Alina Siegfried, who joined us for an interview for this episode. Alina's an author, she's a storyteller, a narrative strategist, systems change advocate, TEDx speaker, and award-winning spoken word artist from Wellington, New Zealand. Yes, we knew we needed to have Alina on the show, didn't we, after we read her book, A Future Untold, The Power of Story to Transform the World and Ourselves. Yeah, it's a wonderful book and we'll we'll link it in the show notes. Um, I'm sure after listening to Alina, everyone will want to read it. She spends a lot of time thinking about how to heal divisions, bring people together in relationship with nature and reimagine the path that leads to a more beautiful future, which is very much aligned with, with the kaupapa of this show and what, what we're trying to do here. And Alina is a former New Zealand Poetry Slam champion. She performs under the alias Ali Jacks, and we asked her to share a poem with us. 
75,000 years ago, on a high plateau in what will one day become Ethiopia, a woman scans the barren ground for seeds and berries, tightens the furs binding baby to her breast, oblivious that she holds in her hands the future of the human race. On the brink of extinction, humanity's population has dwindled to a mere handful. Perhaps just a few thousand of us remain on the face of the earth. Just a blip in human history, merely a moment in time. It is the story we never hear about how we almost disappeared. Some 10,000 years ago, upon the alluvial plains of Mesopotamia, an aging farmer gazes out across a golden field of barley. The ancient ones speak of a time when food was foraged from the wild, but he has planted with intent. Master of his own destiny, he is blissfully unaware that this very moment in time marks the inception of humanity's ascent. The following millennia will see us at our best and worst, from conquests and crusades, witch trials and slaves, to Renaissance art, mathematics, medicine, and the discoveries of space. In 1804, on the filthy wooden floor of a London slum, a young mother unwittingly gives birth to the billionth living member of the human race. Forty years later, her son mops his sodden brow, shoveling coal into the insatiable fiery mouth of a shining new steam engine. Soot black-eyed and bone-broke weary, he is building the future of industry. He is progressing the human race. A 1950s housewife rides shotgun in a 57 Chevrolet Bel Air, sits proudly beside her husband, who represents the one-sixth of American working-age adults to be employed by the automobile industry at the time. Oblivious to unintended consequences, they are paving freeways across the future. In 2008, from the elevated porch of a longhouse in Borneo, an elder surveys the thick, dark smoke blanketing a land where forest fires are foreign. The rainforest slash and burn makes way for monocultural palm oil. The fires burn so vast, the collective smoke would account for 30% of global greenhouse gas emissions that year. It is today, and we are no longer unaware no longer averting our eyes from the caged canary that has been lying unmoving for quite some time now. It is today, and the earth is submitting her invoices for the streets we have paved with gold, for every incremental blip in human progress, and payment needs to be underwritten by a monumental mind shift. It is time for us to step up and respect the boundaries of just how far we can push this planet become stewards of our collective futures and recognize just how much our livelihoods depend on it. We live in a globalized community, a big world on a small planet, where our every flutter of a butterfly wing can either serve to strengthen the hurricane or fuel the winds of change. And like it or not, these days we make our homes in each other's backyards. The Nigerian farmer, whose dreams wash away with the soils after every season's floods, the rain no longer soaking the earth, that man is your neighbor. The machete-wielding clear-cutter lives in the Amazon basin next door. Look into the eyes of the Congolese youth risking life and limb in civil conflict to mine the minerals for our mobile phones, and you will find a brother. 
This is not about sacrifice, but about unleashing our full potential. Not but about saying no, but about embracing a resounding yes. This is about building the house of humanity with hard hats and steel-toed boots, travelling the mountain roads of our destiny with guardrails to mark out the cliffs. This is about humanity moving out of mama's home, learning how to do our own laundry, merging from adolescence into adulthood and embracing responsibility. 100 billion moments of human progress have brought us to this point. 100 billion blips. In late 2017, in Wellington, New Zealand, a woman enters a fertility clinic with bated breath. Nine months later, scanning the future for some berries of hope and some seeds of change, tightening the sling-binding baby to my breast, I hold one tiny contribution to the future of the human race. In every blink of my daughter's eyes, a blip in history. In every blip, a reminder of a global citizen in the making, already taking notes. Mm. Beautiful, Alina. Thank you so much. I get chills. <laughs> really? <laughs> wow. Thank you. <laughs> it's like this journey that you bring us on to where we mm -hmm. are and how we got here and We've, we've come a very long way and there's been many, many moments along the way. Mm. Yeah. So tell us a bit about how that, uh, that came into being, that, that poem. So that poem, I can't take full credit for everything in that poem because the story of humanity that I follow um, was, was largely something that, um, that stood out to me when I read a book called Big World, Small Planet um, by Johan Rockström and Matthias Klum. And Johan Rockström is, of course, one of the lead architects of planetary boundaries theory mm. when he was working with the Stockholm Resilience Centre. Um, and Matthias has provided these incredibly, you know, beautiful and stark photographs. Um, and it's a, it's a book about, um, it's about climate change and it is about how we have got to where we are. Mm. It really has been so many incremental steps. Um, but it's ultimately quite a hopeful book as well. And so I had, I had read this recently, and um, I was when I was working a few years ago for the Edmund Hillary Fellowship, we were running a New Frontiers Impact Summit, and um, and Johan was our guest speaker, our keynote speaker that year, yeah. as he had he had become the um, international Hillary Laureate that year um, with our um, our parent company, the, the Hillary Institute of International Leadership. So. Um, I thought, you know, I'd been invited to perform a poem at the summit and I thought, well, I'm just going to summarise this book in about mm -hmm. five minutes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> and, and, um, and perform that poem, <laughs> perform it right before <laughs> Johan goes on stage. <laughs> wow. Um, which, which I did. And, and so the, the poem is called Big World, Small Planet, The Remix. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and the funny story behind that poem is that I had to change the ending because at the time when I performed that poem, I was five months pregnant. Oh. And yeah. I, hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't actually told 
Um, I told some people for sure, uh-huh. but I hadn't I hadn't made a big announcement or anything. And so I actually um, was quite cheeky and used the end of that poem to reference not my daughter, but the unborn life that was inside of wow. me and um, announced my pregnancy to a room full of about 400 people. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, p- part of the story, right? That's your own personal, bringing your own yeah. personal aspect to the story. So it's it speaks to this how we got to where we are today, right? And this current dominant narrative. Um, so we'd be keen to hear you sort of dissect that a little bit about about how you frame that, how you speak to what this current narrative is um, and what what a storyteller's role is in helping shift that narrative. Mm. Yeah, that's a very good question. I mean, I don't think there's one particular narrative that that has got us to this point, but there are there are a number of them, and you know, in, included in there, I would say, is, is the narrative that um, the natural world is there for the taking. Even the the framing of of the words natural resources, there's a whole story wrapped up in those two words. Um, there's there's the story that says they are resources for us. Um, and neglects the whole side of the story that has those resources as part of a living, regenerating system. So certainly we, you know, we have a lot of underlying narratives around the way that we see the world, the way that the world works. We have stories about how business works. We have stories about how government works. We have stories that tell us what a country is. You know, a country is not, is not a law of the natural world. It's something that we have created, mm. um, yeah. and so we have all of these um, these stories and narratives that underpin our understanding of the way things are. And many of those narratives have been taking us wholly down the wrong path um, in terms of um, living in harmony and, and and regeneratively on a on a on a living planet with um, whom we share you know, mm-hmm. life with many, many other species and many other people. Yeah. And you speak to these, um, some of these underlying stories and, and what you refer to as myths in your, in your wonderful book, A Future Untold, The Power of a Story to Transform the World and Ourselves. And, and I, love, I love your book, Elena, and, and I think some of these myths are so powerful and and we wanted to sort of touch on a few. I don't think we've got time to to cover them all, but just to kind of dig into some of the ones that that really resonated for Debbie and I in the context of this this podcast and this story that that we're trying to tell as well. And and what stood out to me initially was these two myths about me to we and tree to me. And and to me, those those two both speak to this this interconnectedness, like you were just saying about about the the other beings that we that we share this planet with um i'd love you to speak to those and sort of and sort of what changes when we when we shift away from that i or or me uh framing to this more holistic uh we yeah so the the final 10 chapters of my book as you as you say are um are new myths for humanity. And I think before I dive into into them specifically, I just want to explain what I mean by the word myth. Because myth these days, yeah, has become a little bit um, misunderstood. And uh, it, it is synonymous now with uh, an untruth or lies or some theory that we believed before we knew better. Whereas originally, 
myths were the way that we communicated a seed of truth wrapped up in a story to make it more palatable or able to be communicated in in a more entertaining or understandable way. And so in my book, I I kind of reclaim the word myth mm. um, in terms of it being a um, a guiding force for good. And um, Yuval Noah Harari goes into this in his book *Sapiens* about how you know humans um, learned to we, we we built the empires that we did because we learned how to communicate in big in, in bigger groups than maybe just our small mm. hunter gatherer tribes, and and communication was key to us organizing in bigger ways, um, and at the heart of that was was story and the myths that we told ourselves because that's how you draw a lot of people into a concept. Um, Mm. So yeah, um, in the sort of reframing at the end of the book of of these narratives that we currently um, are living with, um, I've suggested ten new myths for humanity that take us from one mythic narrative, if you if you will, to to another one, and and the first of those is from me to we. And so from what I what I mean there is that I think um, humanity requires a wholesale shift from a mindset of individualism to one of collectivism. Um, And there's all sorts wrapped up within that, you know, around, as I I mentioned before, the the concept of countries and the concept of um, Mm. who belongs to which groups. Um, And a lot of a lot of our society is built on this concept of individualism from you know our advertising industry that tells you 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 are a yeah. unique person that can you know have these shoes and stand out um, <laughs> to, and in um, fact if you have them you'll be happier <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's, a, that's another one of my myths yeah. stuff to enough yeah. <laughs> um but even you know, if we were, we were to look at the whole culture of the of the idea, the concept of the American dream, that tells us, mm-hmm. you know, um, no matter no matter who you are in America, you can pull up your bootstraps, make something of your life, and succeed if you work hard enough. And that story completely ignores all of the other interconnected parts of human society that have facilitated you being able to do that so Mm. it ignores you know the terrible wages that we pay perhaps bus drivers or nurses or teachers that help us to to rise up um so i mean i think you know we're, we're facing some pretty stark um figures coming out from the ipcc Mm. um we've got the government um I mean, that by the time this goes to air, they might well have announced what New Zealand's emission reduction plans are, yeah. um, which are coming out next mm-hmm. week. Um, and I think yeah. a message that that people need to hear is that it is going to take concerted efforts from every single one of us. Um, governments alone can't solve climate change. Mm. Businesses can't solve climate change. Individual choices especially can't solve ch- climate change. Right. Yeah, um, we are yeah. we are going to have yeah. to behave yeah. and act as one collective species whose very existence is at threat because it is. Yeah, <laughs> yep, um, yeah, yeah, and that's a mind shift, right? Mm. That's a mind shift of actually, hey, we yeah. really are all in this together, and mm. we can't just blame 
you know, I wish those politicians would do more or I wish, you know, those evil corporations would stop doing, you know, mining for oil or mm. whatever whatever the mm. easy target is. And yes, those, those organisations and those governments have a big role to play, um, but so does every single person who makes a decision in their consumer choices mm. or makes a decision on what they do with their productive hours of their life. Yeah. Mm. Or, a monumental yeah. mind shift, as you say in your yeah. poem, Mon- which is, monumental uh, mind shift. It's exactly. so true. Yeah. Yep. Mm. And in part of that, I mean, we're talking tourism today, and and that includes how we go about our leisure time and entertainment and and mm-hmm. connecting to the world through that particular medium. Yeah, mm. absolutely. What's the purpose of tourism, right? That speaks to that question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yep. And and is the put purpose of tourism today different than the purpose of tourism might have been 50 years ago and i would argue absolutely Mm. yeah even two years Mm. ago right pre-pandemic yeah yes well yeah exactly (laughs) yeah our tourism industry has faced a lot of challenges over the last couple of years and that's also been you know um, as hard as it has been um, an opportunity for a bit of a reset and a rethink about how we'd go about this industry and, and what it means to New Zealand and how we can um, make make some more win wins out of out of the way that we go about tourism here. Yeah, so that's that's a great segue because we're you know obviously on this podcast we're talking about regenerative tourism or a, a regenerative approach to tourism. So one of the shifts you talk about is this um, this need for a new myth around regeneration versus sustainability. So can you speak to what that shift means, like how you describe what each what sustainability is and what regeneration is for us sure yeah absolutely i mean so the term sustainability um in widespread popular use was first introduced in 1987 in the bruntland report so that's 35 years old now that concept of sustainability and mm-hmm. if we look back even further um don donella meadows and, and her co-authors actually introduced the word sustainable as in terms of a sustainable way forward um in in their book limits to growth which was published in 1972. Mm-hmm. so that's 50 years ago yeah so depending yeah. on the way that you know the way that you cut it um the concept of sustainability or sustainable use of resources is between 35 and 50 years old now. And that's wow. that's a yeah. fair chunk of time. Yeah, that's you know? right. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. And, and back in 1972 or 1987, sustainability might have been exactly what we needed. And if we had indeed moved to models of sustainability at that time, we'd yep. probably Wouldn't have we? avoided all, <laughs> a lot of where we are today. Right, yep. <laughs> Um, but now it's it's 2022 and we need something much stronger than sustainability. I mean, at, at the moment, what we have is, is completely broken ecological systems and it's no good in sustaining that. That's not right. what yeah. we need. Yeah. Um, so the concept of regeneration is, um, I see it as um, the duty to repair the harm that we have already done. And to ensure that you know we're not we're not just doing no harm, but we're actually improving things for the better. Um, and there is a, there is quite a movement around that you know around regenerative agriculture, regenerative forestry, um, regenerative tourism, um, and even concepts of the circular economy mm. and and how we design waste 
um, out of the system from the get-go. Um, I've learned recently that about 80% of the environmental impacts of our businesses and products and services um, are baked in at the design phase, at, at the very beginning when oh, we design yeah. how things are going to be. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, we really need to redesign everything mm-hmm. um, in order to in order to regenerate our economic system. Mm. And so this shift from the sustainable mindset to one of regeneration, I mean, it is a mindset shift, right? It's a really massive mindset shift. Mm-hmm. And we're talking sort of at business level or systems level. What does it require on a personal level? That's a really great question. Um, and I think... On a personal level, it just it means um, I think first and foremost being being aware of of the fact that we need that we need regeneration, um, and that is you know that's something that's slowly changing in the mindset of the public. Um, mm. But it, it could be anything from um, being better networked in our communities and cities, so that um, we we know. Um, you know who's got what resources that we we might like ideas of you know tool sharing schemes in a neighbourhood or or time banking so that um, we're actually working collaboratively together or you know local recycling schemes or composting pickup schemes and that sort of thing is going to require people being aware that you know they don't have to throw out their food waste if mm. they haven't got room for a compost bin or, mm-hmm. you know, they, they don't have to go and buy a new $200 tool at Mitre 10 if they need something yeah. <laughs> once every two months. <laughs> um, right, yeah. 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 And that's another mm. one of the one of the the new myths in your book, right, this competition to collaboration, which I love as well and is so, so mm. relevant in the context of, of regeneration and, and this this reciprocity that we're talking about, you know, collaboration amongst each other. But I like to mm-hmm. think about, you know, collaboration with the natural world as well, perhaps, you know, that sort of sense of reciprocity. Mm. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, that's, that's a really interesting one in the, in the space of tourism, right? Is mm. that often, often tourism activities happen um, outside of our cities or, or, you know, often there's an outdoor element involved. And I mean, in our, in our current busy lives and particularly with this trend of, of movement around the world of people into cities, Mm. um, many of us don't get to see nature in all its glory. Um, you know, there's children who grow up in cities who've never been in a forest or, um, and even even with city parks, um, you know those spaces are manicured. There's the concept of which is a which is an okay plant to have, and which mm. plants are weeds that we pull out. Mm. Um, whereas in a natural ecosystem, there's no such thing as weeds. Mm. Every every plant or every element of that system plays a function, and that's a concept that is wholly unfamiliar to to great swaths of the population. Mm. So I think the role of the role of tourism in um, nurturing that awareness of of reciprocity, as you said, in a duty to the planet, I think could be um, could be really powerful. And mm. you know, imagine if if we had all all tourism operators, you know, were 
uh, aware of of how climate change was affecting their region mm. um, and, and not just thinking about how to reduce their own emissions but perhaps how to educate or showcase what you know what lo- the local community is doing um, yeah. and yeah and and I mean I think we're getting to a point slowly you know but it, but it has been building where um, climate change is is for the most part accepted by the population it's it's not it's not really as much of a political issue as it, as it once was you don't especially in new zealand we don't have a lot of climate change deniers i don't think anyway maybe i'm <laughs> hanging out in specific bubbles <laughs> in, in your echo chamber <laughs> yeah that's a real thing yeah i mean i yeah. i think that's a valid point i think you know one of the things i think um in tourism is it's taken us a while to get to this point where we acknowledge we're really acknowledging this um openly and talking about you know what needs to shift or how we need to shift to respond to what the future is going to look like um mm-hmm. I, I i think that's starting to happen um and I, you know, I think like we've interviewed on this podcast, some really amazing tour operators who are leading the way, who are fully embracing regeneration as a way of, um, of living and being, but I still feel the industry as a whole is not talking enough about that. We really need to make some dramatic changes and there's great opportunities for us that instead of looking at it from a perspective of what we can't do anymore, what can we do? And what you're talking about there is these opportunities to really attach meaning to experiences and give people experiences that they may not otherwise have that help educate Mm -hmm. them, um, you Mm -hmm. know, and especially around models of what could be right. That's where I see that there's, there's a lot of hope. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and if we look at the, you know, one of the main reasons people come to New Zealand, it's because of this clean, green image that we have mm. overseas. And, you know, a lot of us here in New Zealand <laughs> know that that is absolute BS <laughs> in many of our indica- environmental indicators. Yep, you know? yeah, that's right. Um, the Environment Aotearoa report, the latest one, paints an incredibly dire picture for our waterways, our biodiversity, mm. um, our emissions. And um, and so if we can, as you said, attach attach meaning and, and start... Um, putting some genuine stories of change mm. to that narrative that people come here for, the thing that draws them here, I think that can be a much more powerful experience for people mm. and, you know, can also help um, carve New Zealand out as a, a leader on the global stage who is starting to take um, climate change and, and the destruction of our planet more seriously. Mm. Um, yeah. And it's a big, it's a big shift for New Zealand. You know, we yep. we yeah. um, we we thrive on tourism. We thrive on on agriculture, which of course requires massive amounts of land. Mm. And in the current model, is requires massive amounts of fertilizer. We've sort of baked ourselves into an addiction mm-hmm. to um, to those models to be able to um, compete on the global stage. Um, but I think, like with regenerative agriculture, that's producing. Um, you know, a higher quality product um, that is better for the environment, better for people, I think that we can, you know, create a a better quality of service to tourists that is better for the environment and better for people. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yep. So, so you spoke a little bit just about this now. Um, well, I want to actually go back to one thing you said, you talk about this awareness, having an awareness. And I think that's where, 
I think even I've become more aware of the stories that have shaped us, the stories that we tell ourselves and that have shaped us are just sub, they become subconscious to us. You know, mm. we don't really realize how we just live out these stories of what we're supposed to do or how things are supposed to be. And I think reading your book was, um, I had so many light bulb moments because it was like, oh yeah, wow. Like we do just, we just take the story for granted that this is how it is. And, and yeah. this is such a powerful thing, I think, about these new myths is, is to raise awareness mm -hmm. that it doesn't have to be this way. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Yep, it doesn't. Um, I mean, I like to say often that our, our entire lives and societies are built upon story. Um, mm -hmm. You know, money, money is a story. Our financial system is a story. Um, the, our education system is a story. The way that we organize our cities and countries and um, communities are all based on stories of, of how we should live. Mm -hmm. um, and um, you used uh, a really interesting term um, when we were chatting about this podcast before, Debbie, around we're living in a, in a VUCA world, mm -hmm. a volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I love, I love that. And, and I think it's worth remembering that uh, particularly the bit that stands out to me as complex is that we live in an yeah. incredibly complex world right now. Um, and stories, stories are fantastic because they are like, well, they, they can be complex, but generally they make the complex simple. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of, a lot of the, you know, the, um, the anxiety that people are feeling about the world that we're living in is, uh, and, and a lot of the polarization that we're seeing with people, um, you know, trying to find blame in easy targets mm. stems, stems from that, um, that not, not knowing how to be in a complex world mm. and, um, trying to make sense of a very complex world that is ambiguous and doesn't actually make sense. Mm, <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. But we, but we, we want things to make sense, right? Cause that's us as humans. We're like, we yeah. need to be able to make sense of things. Um, mm, so we seek yeah. simple answers in a complex world. And, mm. um, and what I see of the role of story and narrative is first recognizing a, that we, um, we have built, the world around us on story mm. and and then realizing that story or, or painting a picture of a new way or reimagining the future is a really good way to reassure us that it can be different and that yeah. you know we can't have a different future if we can't imagine it first that's the role of story mm. yeah absolutely right and there's power and hope in that too i think mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And we need the hope. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you know, we sure we, do. We, yes, we need the hope, you know. Yeah. I've been, I've been involved in the environmental movement for you know, going on 20 years now. And, yeah. um, and I've had absolute moments of despair where I'm mm. like, oh, this is absolutely pointless. We are screwed. Mm. But, um, but then, you know, I also hear and read uh, good news stories of thing, people doing things differently and humans collaborating together and saying, actually, no, we refuse to just lie down and take this. And if our governments mm -hmm. won't act fast enough or our businesses won't act fast enough, we're going to do it ourselves. Um, and I keep coming back to that idea that we all need to do something. Everybody has a role mm. to play. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 
and yeah, I think stories are the stories and myths are the way uh, the way that we can actually get everybody on board with that message. I, I loved that that conversation with Alina. I thought it was so um, insightful, and there's a lot of hope in it, despite being um, despite being quite depressing to think about some of these these narratives that sort of that drive us. It's also there's also a lot of hope in, in sort of power of stories and, and what we can how we can harvest them to to make some change. Yeah, it was a very hopeful conversation and I'm excited to think about how we bring those uh, those strategies and that shift into a tourism context. And mm. so I think um, because there is so much hope out there and we need to be sharing those stories and being conscious about how we craft our stories, that it makes sense, uh, it made sense um, to me that the next person we should speak with is Joanna Haugen. Because Joanna's an award-winning writer, speaker, consultant, and solutions advocate. And uh, it's anyone that speaks power to truth in the tourism sector, it's Joanna. Yeah. Her platform, which is called Rooted, uh, is an amazing online platform of resources. She has courses on there uh, and just amazing critical articles um, it's a solutions platform that sits at the intersection of sustainable tourism, social impact, and storytelling. And we spoke to that intersection with Joanna, which is uh, I found really fascinating. I love that she also is not afraid to really speak about some of the difficult things that often don't get written about in tourism. Mm. Uh, she helps tourism professionals decolonize travel experiences and support sustainability through their storytelling. So she's um, very skilled and strategic and had a great conversation. Joanna joined us all the way from Tunisia, where she currently lives. And we started off by asking her about what's different about storytelling in the VUCA world. So, you know, we're talking about tourism and storytelling in this VUCA world, right? This volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous world. And how we how we create content and how we tell stories in this VUCA world. And you've actually written a guide for content creators on how to make impactful climate crisis content. So what's different, do you think, about storytelling in a VUCA world? And why are the stories that we create important in combating the, the climate crisis? Well, I think in tourism in particular, we have in the past seen this very one-sided kind of communication where the tourism industry just, you know, put out content that was easy to digest, that it was very simple, it was very clean, it was very nice. But if we think about what communication can do and what it can be, I really do challenge this notion of one person and one story simply conveying information to uh, another person. And then that's just the end of the story. We just wipe our hands and move on to the next activity or the next um, thing that we're going to be doing in our uh, during our travels. But the world 
obviously in this VUCA world we live in, it's complicated, it's complex, it's ambiguous and, and nuanced. And that means storytelling has to come along on that ride as well. And storytelling can be and should be more dynamic to really match this this tumultuous space that we're living in right now. And what that means is that we have to be willing to have hard conversations. We have to be willing to center those people and those stories that we traditionally have kind of tucked into the back corner. We need to be willing to ask questions that don't have any straightforward answers. There might not be any answers. So we need to kind of start digging into that unidentified nebulous story and then dig deeper to peel back the different layers to be willing to go off into these tangents. And regarding the climate crisis uh, in particular, it's been a slow burn over many, many years, over many, many decades around the world. And in many cases, we've really normalized the climate crisis because we've we've kind of stopped talking about the urgency and the catastrophe that it is. And part of the reason why we've done that is because it's hard. There are no easy answers. Every community is being impacted in a different way. Every um every person is being affected in a different context. And so, you know, it's it's not the story that has this nice, clean beginning, middle and end, and we're going to tie it up with a little bow and be done with it. This is part of the VUCA world. It is complex. It's ambiguous. It doesn't have any good or easy answers. And um, so we we have started to kind of just set it on the shelf and put it away for another day when we're ready to tackle that hard story. But it's here. It's now. We have to start unpacking it. We have to be willing to get into a messy, dirty, uncomfortable place about it. And uh, in the tourism context, it's everywhere. It's in every community we visit. It's in our own backyards. And we can't hop on a plane or, or get on a train and land in a destination where the climate crisis just isn't a thing. It is yeah. a thing we have to be willing to talk about it. We have to be willing to discuss it, ask questions about it. And we have to be willing to do that both in our day-to-day -day lives and when we travel. And it's often the elephant in the room, right, with tourism especially, right? Yeah, because and, and I think so people just want to avoid it and not talk about it because how can we, how can we justify those carbon emissions and encourage people to come to our country, um, you know, we need to address it. We need to be talking about it and... Absolutely. Figuring out ways to talk about it. Absolutely. And and I think there have been some really interesting conversations about, uh, you know, how do we prioritize flight to some places over others? Like some small island nations will need people to fly there. But what can we do? Uh, you know, when we talk about offsets, carbon offsets and how um, controversial those are, that uh, that is. Um, you know, what about if, what if we think about offset in a different way? What if we say, okay, the small island nations can get like a larger portion of those flights and we're going to offset that by investing in rail in countries that can handle 
you know, that have the infrastructure for rail. So what if we start thinking about offsetting in a different way, right? So we need to, it's not there again, there's no easy answer, right? Um, but it is the elephant in the room. Yeah. And how we, how we talk about that and, and sort of communicate that is so important, right? Because the, there's sort of, uh, gaps in understanding, I guess, and as storytellers, I, I sort of see our role as as bridging that gap. So I'm I'm curious, you know, Debbie and I have have come to realize that our role in hosting this podcast, uh, a big part of that, is about storytelling and doing that in a meaningful way. And I, I've noticed that in your work, you often spend time unpicking language or terminology, uh, like slow travel, authentic, local, words like this that we use in, in travel. And I'm curious about how much you think the words and the the language that we use matters um, or sort of what role does language have to play in creating these, these new kinds of stories? Um, well, I think that we... Uh, because we're in communication all the time, we often don't spend too much time thinking about the specific words we use or maybe what the way we frame a message is or how the way we frame a message is going to be understood. Um, but the words and the language that we use is so important because we have to remember a couple key things. First, people don't know what they don't know. And it sounds maybe a little strange, but before we ever communicate with somebody, they have a, basically a blank slate. It, they don't know what they don't know. They don't know what we're going to say. However, they might have some expectations. They might have some stereotypes that they've created in their own minds. So we can't know exactly what our receiver's story is um, or what it is that they know about the subject. We have to go into something believing that they know nothing. Um, and so we can't make any assumptions. We can't assume that when, um, and this happens a lot in the tourism industry, we just start talking about sustainability and what our companies are doing to address sustainability with the assumption that the person on the receiving end, often the traveler, knows what that even means, um, which is one of the reasons we get really tangled in the jargon in this space. Um, the other thing that I think is really important to remember is that once we do communicate with somebody, um, we, as people who are communicating, are making decisions about what we are including, what we are not including, what we are emphasizing, what we are not em emphasizing, the uh, words that we're using and, and what kind of weight those carry uh, to add to our narrative. Um, and so people, again, they only know what we share with them. And so we need to be really mindful that what we intend to share is, in fact, likely to be interpreted the way that we intend for it to be interpreted. Um, and in, in tourism, that matters because we put out often a messaging, a marketing message 
that travel is, you know, pristine and simple and clean and lovely and all these things. And what that does is it creates an expectation in travelers' minds about um, how they should understand a destination, how they should interact with a place and the people who live there. It might reinforce stereotypes or cliches that they have heard in the past. Um, those choices that we make also attract certain people. We talk a lot about diversity in this space. And if we don't include uh, diverse perspectives or diverse uh, folks in our imagery, for example, we are sending a message about who we want to attract to our destination. Um, we help shape people's expectations and ultimately how they're going to act and behave once they arrive in a certain place and participate in certain travel activities. So, you know, tourism has been harmful in the past in the way that it has communicated. And in part, that's because we really have reinforced this harmful narrative that shields travelers from the reality of the world around them when they travel. And in order to change that, we need to be more accurate and transparent and um, honest in our storytelling in this space. And and just that images are also part of that, right? It's not just the words. Yeah, absolutely. The imagery, um, if we put any, if we create any sort of diagrams, maybe that we put on our websites, um, music is a form of, of communication. I mean, there are, we're communicating all the time. Our body language, I mean, all of this stuff is is communication. And, you know, we, we do tend to think about words because we are speaking, we are writing, but there are a lot of different ways to communicate. We need to be mindful about all of those. And that's really what your work is, right? With your, um, your business and your website, your platform, the solutions platform, you describe it as at the intersection of sustainable tourism, storytelling, and social impact. So you're a communications expert. Can you talk to us about this intersection and what it means to bridge these spaces? I believe that there's this important trifecta of sustainability, storytelling, and social impact in that every community, every place has, uh, is going through actions, is, is, is living in an ecosystem where they are create, trying to create the conditions to live a safe, presumably safe, equitable, um, livable, happy life. And they're doing this in the face of the global challenges that we're all facing. But of course, every community is on a very hyper-local level. So sustainability or um Sustainability in general, I should say, are it's the things that our our communities are doing in order to to have to achieve this safe, equitable, happy life. They're seeking to make sure there's enough food for their community. They want to make sure that their kids are educated, that they have access to clean water and healthcare and all of these things. Like this is looking out beyond the tourism sector, and I think that's really important to emphasize here. Um, so communities are trying to lift themselves up and, and develop themselves, develop is not maybe the right word. Um, they're trying to create an ecosystem that is livable and happy and presumably, uh, better today than it was yesterday. And 
Um, then again, we're dealing with global issues on a local level. And this is where we start to see social impact. So we see local communities creating solutions to these global challenges, whether those challenges be, again, the climate crisis, um, plastic waste, waste infrastructure, um, making sure kids have access to safe spaces. All, again, all of these things and communities have solutions in place that help create a social impact, whether that's environmental, cultural, social, whatever. Um, and in the tourism space, tourism has an opportunity to be a partner to support sustainability initiatives uh, by ensuring that it does no harm and that, in fact, its travelers are participating in the travel experience in a way that that does good. It has an opportunity to support social impact by supporting those organizations that are tackling social problems, that are um, that are giving back to the community in a positive way. And so those are, are two, two parts of our trifecta. The third part is storytelling. And I believe that storytelling can be used to support sustainability initiatives and social impact initiatives, particularly in the tourism space, by emphasizing the social impact work, uh, by ensuring that the stories that we tell are accurate and uh, appropriate and respectful so that it supports the sustainability of a community. And so these three things together, sustainability, social impact, and storytelling, can work together to amplify each other to support each other. And tourism is a vehicle that can be used um, to, ach to achieve this, this uh, kind of this trifecta of opportunity, if you will. I love that, Joanna. That's, that's brilliant. And I think when we talk about these, these intersections, I think that's often where the what regenerative means becomes clear when we when we start to see tourism as a part of this this bigger ecosystem really and i love this this image of of uh, you know social impact and environmental issues that tourism bumps up against because yes. i think tourism bumps up against a lot of things uh, in its in the way that uh, the way that we operate the way that we engage with communities the way that we move through uh, places and environments so I think that's really it's a really powerful intersection that you're that you're working in in there this is so interesting because this is we've been having this conversation and despite the fact that our podcast is called the regenerative tourism podcast uh you know I think we're starting to challenge the idea that regenerative tourism is is a good way to talk about this because one industry can't be regenerative on its own. One sector can't be regenerative. You know, it's about the the communities and and like you were saying earlier, the context is so vital. And I think that's the, that's the same as true with with regeneration. Uh, that tourism can't can't be doing it on its own. Yeah, absolutely. So to yeah, absolutely to your question then about regenerative tourism, and I say that in quotes. Um, 
to me, that sounds like we need to create something to be regenerative. This is like family travel. We're creating the travel experiences for family. Well, we don't need to create anything to be regenerative. Regeneration means uh, that it's already in existence. It's already integrated into a place. It exists within. And tourism doesn't need to create anything to be regenerative. Tourism can be partner and a piece of supporting regeneration within a community. And so when sustainability efforts, social impact, and storytelling support each other, they lift all three up together, which positively impacts and empowers local people and communities. And that is regenerative. Um, and so that's that's where I think the tourism industry's really gotten all bungled up thinking that it needs to create things. Um, and that's not helping anything. We need to empower what is and lift up what is. And I think we can do that by looking at this trifecta and the solutions that exist within sustainability initiatives, social impact, and storytelling. Mm, nice. That's beautiful. Yep. I love it. Yeah. That's actually a good, uh, a good lead into a s- sort of last question that we had for you, Joanna, which is, I guess, around the, the risk of, of the storytelling. And I mean, I would say when I look at the tourism sector and the storytelling that exists in this space, there is an abundance of stories, you know, in terms of everything from marketing to travel writing to, you know, all sorts of different kinds of stories. Um, So I'd love to hear what you think the risk is or what's at risk when we fall into this trap of consumer-driven stories, one-dimensional stories, without that complexity and, and care that we've been talking about today. And on the other side of that, how can we uplift the stories that do have that complexity and nuance and that foster the potential for what tourism could be? I think the word uplift is is very appropriate. Um, we do just that. We amplify stories that support and celebrate people and places. Uh, the, the tourism industry often has this uh, struggle, if you will, of centering travelers in our narratives. And in doing that, it often positions travelers and the tourism industry as the savior of communities and people and um, as if as if tourism is going to save and be the answer to communities and places challenges. But the beauty of travel is that we can celebrate what is in all of its perfectly imperfect forms. And we need to be willing to uplift and amplify and celebrate that in the tourism space without centering tourism or travelers, without trying to fix anything, without feeling like we need to, you know, polish the the ugly edges, if you will. When we, again, when we talk about tourism being regenerative, part of that includes thinking about 
how people are just coexisting with their environment, how they are um, living in this complex space that we live in. And it it isn't always pretty. It isn't always um, the story that we think we should tell or that we want to tell or that fits our belief system of what it should be. And we have to be okay with that. We have to be willing to, again, have those hard conversations, ask those hard questions, and and be more real in our narratives that we share. And we can uplift communities as they are. We can celebrate those folks who don't look like us, who we maybe don't understand because they haven't walked in our shoes. And we can do that in a really beautiful way. This is why, in theory, people travel. And so we don't need to put a pretty polish and, you know, whoever defines that pretty polish, we don't need to, to do that to people in places. We need to just be open to what is. Great conversations, Josie. Yeah, what a privilege to have um, two amazing wahine, two amazing women to join us in the first first episode of this, uh, this season. And for listeners who might be new, um, Debbie and I, at the end of each episode of Good Awaits, we take a moment to try and harvest some of the findings from this episode, some of the key points that resonated with us and hopefully something that might resonate with you or, or that you might be able to think about after this episode. So what came through for you in, in this episode, Debbie? I mean, there's lots, <laughs> but but what stood mm, out? Yeah, so much. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Alina talking about this monumental mindset shift, yeah. right, which is what you and I have talked about. But when she talks about it in the context of stories or narratives or myths that we tell ourselves or that we live by, it helped me understand it in that context too, that part of the shift we need to make is – is even becoming aware that we do live by stories and that they are only stories. You know, the way we live, the way we do business, the way we operate in the world is based on these stories that we've told ourselves that this is the way it's meant to be. It's quite empowering, isn't it, to think about it like that? Because if if we start to understand the world is built on stories, then it, it gives us that power back to to write our own stories, you know, to shift those kind of narratives I found that quite empowering. But at the same time, that monumental mindset shift that she talks about in that's in her poem, I think that is, we shouldn't underestimate that, you know, and I think we've experienced that within the tourism sector of how big of a shift this is, this regenerative mindset is <laughs> for a lot of people. Uh, and, and yeah, I don't yeah. want to underestimate how, how much work that takes and how many, how much storytelling. <laughs> Yeah. Mm, yeah. But I think it is, you know, I, I loved her that she just lays out these different myths that we need to, we need to shift the myths and we need to, we need to become aware of the myths we're currently telling and we shift them. Um, and one of the, you know, the current myths are, uh, that we have, it's all about me is ignoring our interconnectedness. You know, that was a massive one that it's, just it's this individualistic mindset we have that sort of ignores that no we're all part of we're all part of this 
planet, this place, this community, the, everything, right? We're all interconnected. You and I have talked about that a lot on previous episodes. Yeah, I hope that listeners will um, go out and get Alina's book because there's so much richness mm. in those 10 new myths for humanity that she that she lays out. And we talked to a few of them in the episode, but I think that those shifts like from thinking about me to thinking about we or those shifts towards narratives of interconnectedness as opposed to individualism, um, which which drives this sort of capitalist patriarchal uh, system that we're a part of. I enjoyed hearing her I enjoyed hearing her speak to what storytelling means or what this all means in relation to tourism, right? And she talked about really the potential, which we've talked about previously as well, but the potential for attaching meaning to our experiences in tourism. Uh, I loved when she she sort of said, imagine if all tour operators could be aware of how climate change is impacting their area or their region, and then integrated those into their stories. Now I know some are, some of some of yeah. our tour operators in New Zealand are, and I love that. You know, I've been kayaking in uh, Aoraki, Mount Cook National Park and kayaking on a lake where it used to be a glacier. And the guide was amazing about helping us understand our duty to the planet and and what was happening there it was they weren't shying away from that conversation about how climate change was impacting that region. Yeah, and I think experiences like that have have so much potential in the storytelling space. Um, and I don't know if if tour operators always think about themselves as storytellers, but I think when we do, when we when we step into that role of being a storyteller and realizing that these experiences that we're creating are stories. There's a lot of power in that, in, in shifting perspectives and mindsets. And I loved that uh, Alina sort of spoke to this theme that we're talking about, the season of, of the VUCA world. What is tourism in the VUCA world? And I think she really pulled out the part of that, the sea, which is complex, and talked about how stories help us to make sense of complex things you know they that we're 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 out seeking simple answers in a complex world is what she said and and stories can help us to to find that so that was really powerful yeah and you know she also talked about that we have that we can use stories we we can't imagine a different future or we can't create a different future if we can't imagine it first and that's the power of storytelling as well and i feel that's part of what we're trying to do on the show is is bring stories of people who are already operating in different ways that are more hopeful and more regenerative and so we need to be sharing more of these stories and and bringing everyone into this new these new myths and stories and and sharing the good because we know that things are skewed so much the other way, right? Yeah, and I think it's about bringing storytelling into the conversation too, which is what we talked about with Joanna as well and she talks about her platform sitting at the intersection of storytelling, sustainable tourism and social impact. And And she spoke to that being a way of enabling regeneration, which I thought was really interesting, like that the intersection of those three things could be a tool for regeneration. What did you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think you and I think when she talked about some of the social enterprises that are doing amazing work in their places and that tourism shouldn't shy away from working with those 
um, those businesses that are doing that, telling the stories of those businesses and not necessarily thinking about regeneration being creating new products or creating new things to be regenerative, but actually supporting and telling the stories of and supporting through tourism those social impact businesses. I thought that was, I mean, it's it makes complete sense, right? Yeah, yeah. And and if we think about, you know, the sort of premises that uh, we're based the season off, one being that there is no going back to business as usual, seeing models like that of, of different kinds of ways forward, I think that's where a lot of the hope is and a lot of the, the inspiration. And I think we're, we're lucky enough to get to speak to some, some people that are, are in that space through this, through this podcast. But um, Joanna's platform, um, Rooted, also highlights uh, examples like that. So I think that's really valuable. I also love how Joanna really encourages us not to, sh- not to paint this glossy picture of, of tourism for tourists, right? And that's all part of the social impact work. There are inspiring social entrepreneurs doing great work in situations that are not typically considered tourism hotspots or that, that aren't bright and shiny and glossy, like she says, right? So, and yet that's what life is in every city or town or place. This work is needed. And so why aren't we holding up those stories? They are part of the story of, of places. And so we need to be uh, we need to be not afraid to engage in those stories and have those hard conversations and, and hold those up as part of the stories of our places as well. And there is hope in there, those stories. I, I really liked that Joanna spoke to this idea of tourism supporting regeneration as opposed to regenerative tourism in quotation marks, I think what you were just speaking to in terms of seeing the sort of uh, not just the bright and shiny sides of it. I think regenerative tourism, the phrase can be used in a way that that brushes over a lot of the the underlying meaning or sort of importance, which is actually about the communities, right? So what is tourism doing to support regeneration within the communities or within the natural environments in which the travellers are visiting? I think that simple shift from talking about regenerative tourism to tourism supporting regeneration is is a big one and perhaps part of that monumental mindset shift that we talked about with Alina. Yeah, and I also think you and I have both seen those frameworks that have on a continuum sustainability brings us back to zero, right? And regenerative is even beyond restoring. Before we get to regenerative, we have to restore the harm that we've done. And so being honest about that, whether it's in communities to people or in places to environments and ecosystems, there's a lot of healing and restorative work that needs to happen before we can even become regenerative. So I think that her, that conversation with, Joanna made me think of that as well. Yeah, there's a there's a huge amount in this first episode. I'm so happy that we've started with these these two wonderful storytellers and I can't recommend highly enough that you go and browse on on Joanna's platform, Rooted, and that you go and buy Alina's wonderful, wonderful book, A Future Untold. Be ready to be challenged, yeah. right? Be ready to be challenged by them, both of them. I was, I, I am by both of them, and it uh, helps shift my thinking, which I'm very appreciative for. 
And I'm inspired by by this episode for what we're doing with this season of the podcast. You know, it's, it's I think it's these conversations really helped me to think about our role as storytellers and how important that role is, and for us to really step into to, into that in a way that is conscious and mindful uh, of the power of these kinds of stories. So it's exciting to think about the guests that we've got coming up and the stories that they're going to share, and and hopefully. We'll be able to weave those together in a way that is uh, is meaningful for our lovely listeners. So thanks so much for listening to this first episode of season two of the Good Awaits podcast. Thanks both to Alina and Joanna for joining us in these conversations. We'd love to keep the conversation going with you all listeners. So we have a LinkedIn group, uh, a network, Good Awaits, the Regenerative Tourism Network. We'd love you to chime in there with your thoughts about this episode and about what role storytelling is playing in playing in your slice of the tourism world. Please do join us there. It's it's always really nice to hear from listeners and to be in conversation with you all about the ideas coming through. Uh, if you want to hear more of Good Awaits, then please subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app uh, you're listening to this. And if you could also rate and review us on your podcast app, we would love to receive your feedback and it really helps us out. So thank you. This podcast is hosted and produced by both of us, Debbie Clark and Josie Major, and audio production is by Clary Macklin. Thanks so much for listening to Good Awaits. It's great to have you with us on this journey. Good Awaits.